You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it is me, Rosie O'Donnell, and you have found my podcast, Onward, with Rosie O'Donnell. That's the goal, folks, Onward. I was uh, in New York for the 4th of July, and uh, people in public in the airports mostly were so kind and so nice, so loving, and so many talking about this podcast, you know? It's funny, you do a podcast in your own house with your headphones on and talking to somebody usually on the on the computer, and you don't really think it's going out there to millions of people, you know? You don't, because you do it just a tiny little thing in your house. And, you know, people were talking to me about the Reality Winner episode and how much they loved that. And I was so glad that we got to have her on and that people can get used to her story, her name, and and what an amazing American patriot she is. And, and all the comments about that episode were uh, very moving. And thank you so much. And speaking of comments... We have the leave a voice memo, and people have been leaving them with questions and and comments. And I got to tell you, they're so lovely. What you guys are doing, what you're sending me, all the love that you're giving back to me is overwhelming. It is. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like being 61. I kind of like growing older. I kind of like having... Uh, so many years to look back on my life, my career, my family. People stop me and ask me questions. How are my kids? How's this one? How's that one? And it's uh, it's really a beautiful thing. And I just want to do a shout out to all of the Delta Airlines flight attendants. You guys are the best. Seriously. I took a red eye to New York and then I took the first flight out, which was like a reverse red eye. <laughs> So I went for like three days or something because that first flight, everyone sleeps, you know, everyone sleeps, including me. And when I woke up, this wonderful flight attendant, his name was Jay, I believe, said, I saved you an eggs Benedict. (laughs) I was like, are you the sweetest guy in the world? So a shout out to all those people and and just everybody in general. uh, The positivity is is very uplifting and and helps me in, in so many ways. And you know, like so many of us, I struggle with depression and I'm medicated and I'm on top of it and taking care of my mental health. But I will say this injection of love gives me some serotonin and dopamine and all those things my brain sometimes lacks. So thank you so much for uh, the beauty in your stories and your comments. And I really, really appreciate that. I'm having a, a good summer so far. My kid is so excited that the pool is there with the slide Although she does not allow me to really take her going down this. I have to like be like a paparazzi to get a picture of her now. She just says no. I don't know if she's going to still do the videos with me and attack me on TikTok, but we'll see because she's going to be 11 in January and uh, it feels like those preteen years are, are crunching up on me. We have a great show today. We really do. It is Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's. You know her, you love her. 
Here's the thing. I didn't really know very much about Belinda Carlisle before I did the interview. She had been on my talk show, but you really don't have time to do in-depth interviews on daytime TV. It's five minutes if you're lucky, seven minutes if you go over. But to have a full hour or 40 minutes, 45 minutes to talk to someone, you really do get to know them. And most of the people that I've had on the show, I already was friendly with. I already know them. And like Ricky Lake, it's very different to interview someone and find out who they are. And I came to really, really like her. I mean, I like her so much. I was like, I want to hang out with her. You know, she was um, honest and forthright and wonderful discussion about parenting and and about sobriety and just about life. And I love it when women embrace the age that they are and everybody is on the journey and we're all going the same place. So old age, man, it's not as bad as they say. So we have Belinda Carlisle, and she's fantastic. And stick around at the end of the show. We'll do some questions from you, the listeners. Thank you so much, Belinda Carlisle, right now. Well, hello, Belinda Carlisle. Hello, Rosie O'Donnell. I haven't seen you in so many years. I know. I remember the last time it was uh, it was at the TV studio. That's right. And we all rolled in with a massive hangover. I'm so sorry about that. But that's okay. I have loved <laughs> doing all my research about you and finding out that your life was not at all what I had imagined. Well, I know. I think I think it's I yeah. It's it's um it was uh, it has been and it still is quite a life. So yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I I read about, you know, this is how silly I felt reading this. I know all the words to the Go-Go's and everything, but I didn't realize it was a punk band. We started out if it yeah, we started out in the punk scene in 1978 when everybody was in a band. There was like 50 kids. All the kids were in bands and they were horrible. So we thought, well, we can start a band and be horrible too. Right. And it was actually cooler to be horrible. So, um that's how the Go-Go started, and we had no idea how to do anything. How did you know each other? Did you put an ad for a band, or were you friends? No, we just, like, we knew each other from the punk scene. Like I said, there were, like, 50 kids in the very beginning. It, it exploded really quickly. Um, but we all kind of knew each other, mm-hmm. and Margot, the original bass player, and I were friends. And she said, we were sitting on, on a curb one night at a party in Venice, California, and she said, let's form a band. I said, and I said, I wanted to play bass. And she goes, no, I'm playing bass. You can, play, you can play drums or you can sing. And I had played what the drummer that never played in a punk band called The Germs. And so I said, okay, I'll sing. And that's how it started. So I had never sung before. Wow. Jane wanted to play rhythm guitar. She had no idea. We asked Charlotte to join because she knew how to plug in a guitar into an amplifier. <laughs> And um, and that's how the band started. But we started from absolute. I mean, Charlotte did have classical training, but none of us knew how to do anything. But that was the beauty of the punk movement. Did you have like a group? Was it the Sex Pistols? Who was it that you were looking up to and thinking that's the direction I want to go? Was there one band or there were a couple bands actually? A, a lot of um, well, first of all, the, the LA punk scene was amazing back then. There were some really like amazing bands that were ahead of their time, but we looked to the UK and we were influenced by the more melodic pop bands like the Buzzcocks and even the Clash. So, and and three of us grew up in Southern California with California radio. So that sort of California melodic harmonies, beach boys, beach culture was kind of in our DNA. So even though we started it as a punk band, we always had pop overtones Yes. And then when we became more musically proficient, it started sounding like a pop band and, and people were going, oh my God, what's going on here? It's yeah, what confusing. happened to them? Right. I know, exactly, exactly. Now, I read that you opened when you were very young, you opened for Madness, like Our House Madness in the middle yes. of, oh wow, I yes. love that band. Yes, actually, they really, um, you know, meeting them was like a big deal and, and our, you know, for the Go-Go's because- they asked us to come to the UK to support them. So our manager, Ginger, sold all of her belongings, everything, and, you know, sold her car, kept her apartment, 
to finance our trip over to the UK. Because really at that time, before the age of information, you could say anything when you were there. You could say you were big stars, which we did in the UK. We weren't. In fact, <laughs> we kind of struggled, you know, opening for that band because they had a whole other type of audience. It was um, a lot of neo-Nazis, mm. a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, mostly skinheads, very yeah. violent, you know. And so we had to open and play for these. It was scary, believe me. It was scary. Yeah. But at the same time, we really honed our skills and became a really good little band from that whole time in the UK. We opened for the specials and a lot of the two-tone bands. Wow. And um, we would write home and say what big stars we were. People didn't know better. And we came back to LA after, you know, after three or four months. And, um, you know, I guess our strategy worked because there were kids wrapped around the block. Wow. To come see us at the Starwood, yeah. And it was really a meteoric rise. Like, it was like two years from start to you were on the pop charts. Right. I mean, it went so fast. We formed the band in 1978, and in 1981, we were the biggest band in America. Now, how in earth did you survive that? Well, I mean... Well, you know, as you do, as, as most bands do with drugs and business. Right, exactly. And, but, I mean, to go from zero to 100 and being self-taught, we didn't have like a Simon Cowell or a right. Svengali. We did it all ourselves. And it was a female operation, female roadies, female management, no boys allowed, no boyfriends around. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of unheard of. It really and is. And when you think, you know, when you think about it, I mean, three years is nothing. No, especially in showbiz. You kidding yeah, me? Three yeah. Three years, usually you're waiting tables for a decade and then yeah. you get a break, you know? Exactly, exactly. But I know for me, kind of when my show took off, it, it sort of felt like that too, like a, like a rocket sh shipped me up to a different place. And for a while, you totally are disoriented. You yes, don't even really exactly. know. Exactly. And I read, I read, tell me if this is true, that you had fear of imposter syndrome, which I believe every artist has. Oh, I probably, I, I would say that they do. Most every artist does. And yes, it was, I mean, it was a combination of the way I grew up, you know, right. and, um, you know, in a very strict sort of Christian family. And um, it was partly because three years is nothing, you know, and all of our musician friends who had been working for decades achieved nothing. And then here we were after three years. I mean, like the biggest band in America for five minutes. So yeah, um, more than five minutes, honey. That yeah. was a that was a pretty wild, long run. More with Belinda Carlisle after this. Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I read every interview, so bear with me. <laughs> but you, you spoke about um, them always commenting on your weight, which, you know, I didn't remember that as being a thing with you, to tell you the truth. Maybe because I had my own issues with Wade. You just were right. the beautiful one in the, the Go-Go's, right? That you were always the, the face of the Go-Go's. Right, um, right. And, and that must have put a lot of pressure as you were. How old? You were so young. I was, let's see, uh, 23 years old. I never thought about my weight. I, I never had a problem with my weight and the way I looked. And I guess because I was normal, you know, or sort of right. normal, like a pretty young girl. Yes. But I was cute and chubby. I was pretty and plump. I'd been hitting the deli trays. And that really, really messes with your brain totally. as a young girl. Yes. And, and it was very, very damaging. And, and that, you know, I mean, it was like that up until fairly recently. But now it's, and I love this with women, it's your name and then how old you are. Totally. <laughs> and they totally. don't do that to men. It's like, Ever. Linda they Carlo, never do that to right? Sixty-four. She's right. sixty-four. Right. So, um, how did that feel for you? I never had an issue with my age. I still really don't. But when I turned sixty, it was kind of like, whoa, sixty. You know, that was the one yeah. that made me think, like, because in my mind, sixty is like Seda Thompson from Family. You know, yeah. Ethel from I Love Lucy. Like, it's yeah. not like you, Belinda Carlisle. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. As we know, it's it's inevitable, and um, I think for me, it's not so much the physicality of it, but it was like finally realizing that maybe I have another 20, 25 years, yes. you know, and I've had 60 that have flown right by. And, me too, me too. And, you know, 64 now, but yeah, it was just weird, um, like on a psychological sort of level. You know, of course, it's not great, you know, seeing your body sort of like, you know. Betray you, know, you right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that's just the way it is. So I could kind of accept that. It was just the, the like, wow. I mean, I, I'm like three quarters of my life of, you know, it's, yes, it's, it's done. done. It's that's done. Why I, that's why I named this show Onward, because I hit 60 and I was like, everything in the past, I'm leaving in the past. Onward to the last 25 years, you know? Right, right. That, right. And I think that, um, I mean, you know, I, I'm probably even more active than I was in my 30s doing, you know, lots of great, crazy things. But, and it is just a number. And I was talking to a friend and he goes, so let's just face it, we're old. And I was like, excuse me? And, you know, I mean, I am 64, but I think old is like, it's it's like a really negative take on it. It's not, yeah. doesn't have to be negative at all. Right. There's a way in a way that that you're given the uh everybody knows that you have some wisdom to share when you're old. Right. Like when I'm on a set now, I'm like the Angela Lansbury. You know, I'm the <laughs> oldest woman on the set and they're all young kids and asking me what was it like back then and and I you know, you start to think how did it go this fast? And you know, where right. did you grow up? Did you grow up in LA? 
Yeah, I grew up in Southern California. Um, you did, and you were the oldest of seven children. Yes, I was. Yeah, I yeah. was the guinea pig. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was a great place to grow up. California was amazing back then. And, you know, typical dysfunctional family. Right. But that's where, that's uh, my formative years were in California. And your dad had a drinking problem and your stepdad or just your stepdad? Just my stepdad. My dad left when we were, I was about five. Oh. And I didn't really know him, but my stepfather did. He was a terrible alcoholic, but he got sober um, right after I left home. So, oh, you know, I mean, going through my issues of addiction and alcoholism myself, I, you know, I, I, I forgave him, you know, for, yes. you know, because he was abusive. And, you know, I mean, back then, Kids were beaten with a belt, and that's how it was done. And totally, and uh, you know, right. it was it was harsh. But that's all he knew. And you know, I mean, he he was actually when he got sober, like an amazing, beautiful human being. No kidding, he wasn't when I was growing up. That's for sure. Now, when you had your son, did you go through moments of going, "I gotta, I gotta cut this back" because I know what it did to me? when there was drinking and alcoholic behavior in the house? Or did it not sort of register until you were ready to be done? It didn't register until I was ready. Well, it registered. Well, okay. I was always be to be able to witness myself, even when I was like 10. Mm. I always had me and then I had this. It was right. weird. I could always do that. So even in my, when I was like way out there, I could always go, okay, you know, you, you know, are a mess and you know you need to get it together so I always knew but I really had no interest really in cleaning it up I was doing it for other people not for myself had you tried to get sober before for other people yeah I did it yeah um the first time after the go-go's broke up I did my version which was I could drink but no coke. Just wine, just wine. <laughs> just wine. Right. You know, and, and uh, no coke, no pills. I could do acid um, and hallucinogens. That was fine. And that's how I functioned for a good five, seven years. And then, of course, that does not work. So, yeah. uh, and then it took me another, another 15, 17 years of, you know, drama. Suffering, suffering. Yeah. Pain and suffering and drama. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready. And then when I was ready, I was ready. It was like not, I was done, not an issue. And did you go to a 12-step? Did you do the whole yeah, I did. blue book, everything? Good for yep. you. I got a sponsor and, you know, I've done, um, you know, I did the inv personal inventory, which sure. I liken to wearing cement uh, and rubber boots and treading through quicksand, which was like, it was so. It's hard to do. Yeah, and I really had a lot of blocks with that, but I'm so glad I did it. And I've done it twice, actually, gone through the steps twice now. But yeah, I mean, that's the only thing. I mean, I tried doing it my way. Didn't work. Don't we all, right? Yeah, exactly. We all exactly. think we, can, we got a handle on this, you know? Exactly, exactly. You don't have a handle on it when you say, I don't have a handle on it. And you have to say it, you know? Did exactly. others try? Did they try to do interventions? Did they? Because I read that your son has said he had no idea that you were um, using drugs or, or <laughs> drinking to excess through his yeah. childhood, that he doesn't have a memory of that. I think he did once when I was really, I mean, I came home from a trip and I had taken some pills and I was like slurring and stumbling around the kitchen. And that's when he kind of, he kind of knew. And my husband was like, go to bed. You know, we don't want you around right now. Right. And um, he didn't know. But I think part of him, you know, he probably buried a lot of it because. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it was, uh, when I was ready, I was ready. That's yeah. All. Do you have advice? Like we have someone in our family and it's, you know, it's very difficult when there's a lot of, you know, drug abuse. And someone told me, somebody who's an AA, and, and I go to uh, Al-Anon, and I go to try to help myself get through this difficult time with her. And, um, you know, they said, if one more person tried to save me, I'd be dead, right? Yeah, totally. Because almost the trying to help doesn't help. It doesn't help. I mean, I can't tell you— and. As, as when I was drinking and using, the promises that I made never again, and I meant them. Mm. I really meant 
what I said, but I knew way deep down inside there was no way I could keep my promise, even though I wanted to and I right. meant to. Right. Um, but I mean, the advice I because I'm actually I have a friend right now that's really suffering from a partner who is just way out there. You know, I mean, I've been through the drama on both sides of the drama, and I just I would just say. Al-Anon, the big book from Al-Anon is amazing. Yes. It's amazing. Totally. You know, and and there's a few, there's a real, forgot the name of the book, but there's a classic codependent, codependent no more. No more, yes. Yeah, Beattie, that's an amazing, right? yeah, she's amazing. Yes, she's and amazing. That, that book I recommend, and I just say, and I tell him, you just let go, save yourself. Whatever happens with him is going to happen. You can't do anything about it. In fact, it I makes know. it worse. But it's yeah. so hard, and you it's know, so hard. It's so, it's so hard. hard when you when love you them. let go. You think, what if the worst happens? Yeah, you know? but the and worst is going to happen, and maybe that's going to change the behavior. Maybe you know exactly, exactly. And hanging on doesn't really help. And if anything happened when you were hanging on, you would blame yourself too. So, well, that's the other thing. You yeah. know, I, I try to say I, I can't do any more until you're ready to get well, and um, yeah. And then I find myself doing more because I feel like guilty. And then I go, yep. oh, now I'm really not going to do it. You know, yeah. and I know from the book, I know from going to Al-Anon that that's the worst thing you can do is to be, to give in, you know? Yeah, but in. we can't help it sometimes. No, you know? I know. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, especially if we really love the person and, and it's, you know, my husband stuck around for years. And I don't think if I had carried on, I don't think he'd be around. But I remember when after I, like during the first week after sobriety, I had to go to London to go to work. And all of a sudden it just hit me, all the pain that I caused uh, people around me. Right. And I had like a breakdown in the middle of Herod's. And so I called him and I said, why did you, why did you stick around? You right. know, and and he said, I could always see the real you underneath all the crap. Mm, how you know? about that? And, That's a um, beautiful statement. Yeah. And so, you know, but but he, I mean, he was there, but he backed way off the last Rolling. few years. Rolling. You know, and, you know, he would get really pissed off with me and, and everything when I'd like go on a bender. But, right. but I think if I had carried on, he probably would have walked to be now, honest. how long have you been married? It's a miracle with all of the time that you were not yeah. ready to get well, and you've been married over 30 years, right? We've been together 39 years. Oh, congratulations, Thank Belinda you. Carlisle. To, Thank you. you know, a lot of difficult <laughs> circumstances, too. Yeah. It wasn't like a cakewalk for you. No, for, for either of us, to be honest. Um, what does he do? Is he in the recording industry? or No, no, no. He's just He does a lot of financial stuff, and, yeah. and uh, he's retired now. He's into his, his finance thing and, and playing around with that. And he, No, he doesn't. He's not in the music business. He doesn't manage me. He suggested it once a long time ago. I said, no way. You know, smart. it's just very keep smart. It, yeah. Keep it separate. Keep it separate. And is, you have one child. You have one, one child. child. A son. And how, when, how, how old was he when he came out to you? He was 14. And he, I mean, I always kind of knew, you know. Yeah. There were like, there were like little, little hints along the way. Sure, so, yeah, of course. Um, but, but I will say when we went on a little afternoon trip to this lake near where we lived. Mm-hmm. And he said, Mom, I have something to tell you. I was driving. Yeah. And he said... I like boys, and I went. Tell <laughs> <laughs> I had a stop sign, damn it! <laughs> and I had to pull over sure. and catch my and catch my breath. Even though, listen, all my friends since I was in high school have been ninety percent have been gay or lesbian, right? And but when it's your child, it's like yes. the first thing I thought of is what kind of world is he going to have to put mm, up with, correct. especially living in provincial France. I mean, where. It's very, very kind of old-fashioned, you know, very traditional. So um, I, that was like a whole, that was like a really, like a whole thing because he had been coached by PFLAG. Ah. It was an amazing organization. Yes, it is. On how to come out. So, and since then, I've done a lot of, we do a lot of work together for PFLAG. Great. But um, they said, come out to your mom, ma- ma- mom, you don't never come out to your father because you don't know. If it's safe. You don't know. You know, it's yeah. a reflection of their masculinity, especially yes. being an only son. So I thought, okay, don't tell dad. I'm going to figure out 
how we're going to, you know, even though my husband's like totally gay friendly, just like don't say anything. So what does he do the next day at school, at the school assembly? I am gay. Oh my God, I love him. To the whole school. What a brave young boy. And so everybody though, because we lived in a small village, you know, in in France, everybody knew that he was gay except for my husband. So... (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, how am I going to, you know, I went to my therapist and how do I deal with this? And she said, let him tell him. And I said, no, 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 instinctively, no, that's not, that's not good. So I did, it took me about three months to, to even though I knew it would be okay, it's still. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. So yeah. I dropped, I dropped Duke off at the bus stop. He was, he was like a junior in high school. I went home and. Morgan comes out of the shower. I said, um, I have something to tell you. Dookie likes boys. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he's And like, he oh. said, no, who cares? What did he say? He said, oh, this is just a phase. I said, I don't think so. So I said, you two deal with it. Leave me out. Right. I, you guys got to figure it out. Because they would all be like, well, he said this and he said that. And right, I said, right. just leave me out. You guys have to figure it out. I'm, I'm, I'm done. So it took them a good year of like going back and forth and Duke would get mad about him saying it's a phase. You know, it took about a year though for him to yeah. finally accept it. Accept it. Accept Not that it. He, he, w- he was fine with it, but, yeah. um, you know, it's his only everybody, son. Everybody needs time to adjust. Even the gay people, me, you know, when you first figure out you're gay, whether you're 10 or you're 15, you have to give yourself some time to get used to the idea. And, you really right. have to give your family the courtesy of that time too, because right. it's a shock, and it doesn't mean that that you're not loved, right? But an instant, you know, reaction that that some kids are are so needy and wanting of, they don't want to be disowned by their family. It's not always right at the right time, you know. Exactly, exactly. So it all happened perfectly. So he was fourteen. He immediately got elected to a student body president. <laughs> And what the great thing is, is that like five or six kids came out right after he did. How great. So it was, it was a really good thing. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. You know, I have a little daughter who's 10. I have four grown children in their 20s. And uh-huh. I, have, uh, I adopted a baby at 50, you know. Wow. Uh, yeah, so all my kids are adopted. But this baby uh, has autism and she's like very verbal. And about six months ago, she started telling me that her stuffed animals were non-binary. And I was like, really? I go, how do you know? She's like, I can tell. And then she starts telling me about characters in her little uh, video game thing she plays that are non-binary. And then finally she says, mom, I'm non-binary. And I said, fantastic. What do you want for dinner? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know where it's going to go. They say a large percentage of autistic kids, when they examine the thoughts the way they do, they examine this, you know, uh, in a higher percentage than non-autistic kids. But she's getting very um, insistent on they, them. So we went to a a birthday party for my 82-year-old friend. And my 82-year-old friend said, hey, she wants something to drink. And she turns and says, it's they. They. That is just She's 82. You got to calm your roll on (laughs) it. That is so funny. Well, good for her. Well, good. You know, I mean, Duke said he knew since he was seven when he fell in love with the boy on Casper the movie, you know. Right, right. And, And I had... I, there was one thing, he, he wouldn't mind me just saying this, but when Brokeback Mountain came out, uh-huh. it was playing at our local theater, and I had to delay it for a week because I had to work, and he threw like a temper tantrum. Oh. I want to see it, I want to see it. Oh, went, wow, okay. You know, so, um, and you know, there's like little hints like that along the way. So He's kind of responsible for your new EP, Kismet. Exactly. What a wonderful story this is. He was at Starbucks just hanging out? Well, he never goes into the Starbucks. Mm. And um, he went into the Starbucks on Sunset, and Diane Warren was there. And she never goes at that certain time. She went always a little bit later. So he walked up to Diane, and he said, I'm Belinda Carlisle's son. She went, you know, and I'm not going to repeat what she said, because she, you know, (laughs) swore... Swears but, like a sailor. Yeah, 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 she does. But she said, get your mom on the phone. I have hits. So they called me, and it was like out of the blue because I was planning on slowing down. And, and yeah. you know, during my, you know, I just yeah, living a quiet life, you know? Yes, yeah, sure. And um, they called me, and it was like, 
on FaceTime and she's going, come to the studio, I have hits for you. And I was like, well, do I have a choice? First yes. of all, because you don't say it's no to Diane. Exactly. Yeah. But I was like, do I really want to do this? It's like a big commitment and, and I'm not in this mindset now. And I went to the studio and usually like, I was kind of just, I was done. And I mean, because my last two albums, one was in French, mm-hmm. because I lived in France for 24 years and I love French right. bop. The other one was mantra, I chant every day. So I thought, no, it never happened because good pop songs go to younger artists or artists right. that are charting. And I'm 64. Right. right. So um, I went to the studio and what she played me, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I mean, why are you giving it to me? You know, Come on, <laughs> no, but, yeah. but no, but, but it's true. So um, she played me and I'm very fussy too. I won't sing just everything and just won't do it for the sake of doing it. So she played me five really good songs and I was like, yeah, let's do it. So that's how it happened. It was a chance meeting, a couple of coincidences that came about and that's why it's called Kismet. Yeah. Do you believe in coincidences? I don't. Yeah, I, think- I don't think that... I don't think there was such such thing. No, me either. I don't think no. there's such thing. Nope. And I, the nope. one, the people that come into contact with you and you with them, there's a meaning in something. Now, whether Absolutely. or not we're back here enough to observe what that is, won't that be a wonderful thing to be able to figure all that out at the end? Perhaps that's my, that's my dream of when we leave the body and we're no longer uh, using it. That we get to sort of have a, a, a bird's eye view. Of yeah. what's happening and, and figure out kind of the things exactly. that confuse us. Well, I'm doing Course in Miracles right now. And, oh, wow. and, and uh, one of the things that said, because it, it, it says basically there's no coincidences, but every encounter is a chance to heal your childhood pain. And I love that. I believe that. And I that. thought that's so great. And yeah, this was not a coincidence. It was, I was, it was like the universe saying, no, you can't. It's not the right time to to retire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I did it once when I left my show. I was 40 and my mom died at 40. So I thought I want to be an available mother for my kids that she wasn't able to be, like the school parent and all that, you know? Right. And um, so I did that. But then, you know, you always are drawn back by something that people, you know, and, and you find yourself doing something more creative and maybe different than you had before. Did you ever have hobbies during that? Did you, when you were living in France, did you learn to paint? Did you learn to do yeah. ceramics? Well, those paintings are behind me. The two of them on the outside are mine. But, oh, fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I took it up during the pandemic again. That was That was my hobby. But in France, um, yeah, I mean, I got really into, I mean, I think getting into the French pop was like a hobby. I mean, I'm a, I eat books. I would read all the time. I'd hiking. I was really into the, the grail. So I was like a grail freak. So I'd Mary mm. Magdalene freak. So right. we lived in the area of France where, oh, there was all those legends. So I was really into, um, you know, looking for the grail, you know, what is the holy right, grail? So right. that was it? like the big hobby that I took up when I was in France. Are you excited to go on tour now or does it fill you with dread? It's a lot of work. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. People don't realize it. People think you come for the concert and that's it. That's but it. boy, oh boy, I've seen what it takes and it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I just, um, um, no, I'm not dreading it. I did, I just did 16 shows in three weeks in the UK. Wow. And that like, even for a 20 year old, that's really hard. But I do have a whole, it's a lot of physicality. So I have a whole thing that I do. And I do, I started doing it a month before I go on the road, which my vocal exercises, I do sure. a ton of, ton of uh, breath work, pranayama. Um, yeah, you know, I'm getting my lungs, you know, sort of like ready, up, ready yeah. to go. Yeah. And then when I'm on the road, I mean, it's hard. Even if you're, it doesn't matter how you travel, it's, you know, it's still traveling. And, yeah. and you know, you have the shows, you have the sound checks, you have, you know, the, the whole press, thing, the, the endless travel. press, the endless yeah. press, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have it when you get into a city, they make you do the morning radio stuff yep. or no? I won't do won't. it anymore. Good I just say you. no. I just yeah, say no. I know. It's too much at some point. It's, it, it's, it's too much when you're 20. It'd be way too much at 64. Yes. So, so right. no, I just say no. I mean, I should, but 
I can't do it. I can't do, I can't multitask that much anymore. No, nor can I. I mean, I do like two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do, I have it so, you know, two on, one off, two on, one off. So it's, it's um, fine. But anything for months and months, I have no desire to do that. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just, it's just really hard, you know. I heard that you sold out all your shows in England. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty amazing because I, I was saying to, I was doing an interview there and I was saying like literally 20 years ago, I was like at a really like bad, 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 bad place. Right. And, um, and it, it, you know, I remember going to a venue and 20 people showed up. Right. You know, and I was playing the shitty club and, and you know, I had no backstage. It was like really dirty. And yeah. I thought, this is like, this is really bad. This is, you know, this is where her word ends. And then um, I got new management. I cleaned up, you know, my act and everything. And then it was like, uh, he had a lot, played the long game. It's just building it back little by little. I did festivals. Right. I did all the small clubs again. And then um, this last tour was like three to 5,000 a night, like sold out. That's fantastic. I, I mean, it was like, it's kind of like a, a, a nice little redemption story because it was really, really, really bad. Yeah. And you really did sort of do it without all of the public scrutiny. Now, maybe I missed it, but, you know, it's not like people are saying, oh, crazy Belinda Carlisle out there drunk no. and drugged. You know, like no one sort of, you were, you were very functioning drug addict and alcoholic, it seems. Well, yeah, except towards the end, it was, got pretty hard. I wasn't showing it up. At re- I, always, I always took my makeup off at nighttime, too. <laughs> right. And um, I would show up, even though I, mean, I wasn't in good shape, but I'd show up. But towards the end, I wouldn't even show up. So it was, it was, um, it was time. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, well, I mean, I'm proud of you. I mean, that sounds thank stupid, you. but it's such a, such a huge accomplishment. You know, people think that if they don't get sober the first time, it's all over. Or if it's been over this amount of years, forget it. And you're a living testament to the fact that that's simply not true. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks, basically. Exactly. That's, right. um, that's kind of the, the, my story. You know, it took me a long time. 47 was when I, when I really got s- sober. And I, I was like every day for, since I was 17. Right. Probably before that. So, um, yeah, it took a while, but I got there. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great story. And your book that you wrote about you getting sober, what, what's the name of that one? It's called Lips Unsealed. Lips Unsealed, yeah. 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 I, I must have missed that because I would have known all this so that when I was reading it, I was like, I didn't know any of this. No, the it's okay. Journey, it's all right. So. Yeah, no, you're, it's okay. You're lovely. I've been a fan of yours forever and I am always will be. Um, you know, somebody who Thank you. was at your concerts in, on, uh, in Jones Beach. Believe oh, it or yeah. not, yeah, I love John's Beach. The, the yeah, great, it's great. We're right on the ocean there, and right. we saw you outside, and it was fantastic. And uh, I uh, loved having you on my show. And it's great to hear you're doing so well, Belinda. Oh, you thank look, you. You look beautiful. You look absolutely stunning. Oh, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's so nice to talk to you and see yes, you again. Yes, it's great to see you again too. And great. thank you for being here. Summer's hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. That's Belinda Carlisle, my new best friend. I just love her. I'm so thankful she did the show and I got to to know a little bit more about her. I hope you enjoyed it. We have some listener voice memos. That's you guys. Here's the first question. Hit it. Hi, Rosie. My name is Kate. I am so happy that you have started this podcast. When I tuned in for the first time and heard your voice again, a flood of memories came back to me. I am such a fan of yours, and your show was a big part of my childhood and a special thing I shared with my mom. Every day we'd watch after school, and I loved that you talked about all the things her and I loved. Broadway, musical theater, Bette Midler. She even surprised me once with tickets to your show. Now, I'm a mom of two kids myself, and my appreciation and understanding for my mom became so much deeper once I became a mother. So my question for you is, if you could ask your mom a question or a piece of advice about parenthood, what would it be? Thank you so much. Wow, Kate, thank you so much. That's beautiful, really. Um, you know, it's so hard for me to imagine that I could, as a grown-up, have a mom. You know, my mom's uh, been gone since 1973. I was the age Dakota is now, 10, when she died. And um, it's very overwhelming. I-, I will tell you that the time I missed my mother the most was when my children were first placed in my arms. That was the, I thought, oh, I wish my mother was here to see this. And then when my son got engaged, I was overwhelmed with emotion about wanting to tell my mother that uh, my son got engaged. So I'm not sure what I would ask her if she were alive now, uh, but boy, I would give anything for a conversation with her. I miss her. I miss her every day. And I would love to to know what kind of parental advice she would give me, you know. Thank you, Kate, for the question. I appreciate it. Give those kids a kiss. And we have one more, I think, today. Let's hit it. Hey, Rosie. My name is Billy, and I'm from Pittsburgh, and I have a twofold question for you. Over the years, you've had opportunities to meet celebrities from all kinds of artistic fields, and some of them you mentioned were your heroes. I can remember watching you when you had Barbara Streisand on your show and how emotional that was for you. After meeting her, was there any other celebrity that made you feel that way, or has it all just been a normal human experience meeting people? I saw Mariah Carey one time in concert, and I was a few rows away, and she pointed at me, and my legs went jelly. (laughs) The second part of my question, was there ever a moment when you had high hopes for meeting somebody, they obviously do not need to be named, uh, that turned out to be not as you expected? Love your podcast, and have a great day. Thank you, Billy. Thank you very, very much. You know, 
I kind of didn't have expectations of people. I I was always waiting to see what would be, you know. I wanted to know who they were and and I was ready to accept wherever it was that they were at. Uh, I don't think of anyone specifically, but there was one guest on the show that uh, is a funny person and I expected a funny person and it was kind of a serious person. (laughs) And I was very shocked at this. Now, it wasn't like anything they did was wrong. It's just like my expectation was it was going to be like Marty Short. You know, Marty Short comes on your talk show and you say one sentence to him and he can go on for 40 minutes and I will be peeing in my pants. That's what happens when Marty Short is around. So I was expecting a kind of Marty Short intensity and energy and I got sort of the opposite. The actual person is kind of quiet and introverted, which I did not expect because of uh, their career. So there you go. But there's nobody that I would go, oh my God, I hated this person. You know, there really wasn't. But thank you, Billy. Thank you for your questions. And and everyone, thank you for the comments, really. Thank you so much. Next week, we got Kristen Chenoweth here. Cheno, my buddy, the little uh, pint-sized Prozac herself. She makes me so happy, and I love her so very much. She's here, and we have some uh, intense conversations, as always. So Kristen Chenoweth next week, and hope you enjoyed Belinda Carlisle. And thank you for finding us here at Onward. Notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. right.